Hello. What's your name? Your email address? Your date of birth? Where do you live? What music do you like? What's your favorite film? TV show? Podcast? What are your hobbies? How are you feeling today? Do you know these people? How would you rate the restaurant you ate at on Friday? Is it good for groups? What did you eat there? Are these photos you took there? How are you today? What did you do yesterday? Why haven't you shared in two days? Where are you? What are you hiding? You're listening to Hollywood Science. In each episode of the show, I'll take a look at a particular film to see how the science fiction holds up to the science fact. In this episode, The Circle and Online Privacy. I'm Alex Contis. The 2017 film The Circle stars Emma Watson as a new hire to an exciting and innovative technology company led by its visionary founder, Eamon Bailey, played by Tom Hanks. The film is adapted from screenwriter Dave Eggers' presciently written 2013 novel of the same name. You got the job at the circle. Have a drink, have a good time, and stay excited. You're at the circle. Everyone really likes you. Your work's been exemplary, strong ratings. Man, you're a valued part of the circle. We care about everybody you care about. So, May, do you think you behave better or worse when you are being watched? We have cameras in place all over the world right now. Does this really seem okay to you? Things at the circle, they need to change. Everything recorded, seen, broadcast, is stored, and analyzed here. They can use it however they see fit. So, May, is there anything you want to tell us? To Emma Watson's character, May, the circle mirrors her hopes and dreams for humanity and the future. You're most scared of unfulfilled potential. The ideals that Eamon Bailey shares of an open and informed society are idealistic, attractive, and seductive. But ultimately, they're self-destructive. It's the promise of the ability to connect with anyone, anywhere in the world, to share anything free from censorship, where technology is the great social equalizer and your digital services are perfectly in tune with your wants and needs at every second of every day, thanks to algorithms and artificial intelligence that are learning about you from your entire online existence. To most of us, The Circle's mission might sound like some amalgam of Facebook, Apple, Google, and Amazon all rolled into one. And who doesn't like the sound of having one service that makes it incredibly easy to shop, to discover and learn, and to connect with friends? But would that really sit comfortably with you in reality, having a single company have all this information about you? Unfortunately, this is in many ways becoming an uncomfortable reality. As recently as April of this year, the United States Congress voted to overturn a ruling by the Federal Communications Commission that stands to greatly weaken internet users' privacy. Under the original FCC ruling from October 2016, 
Internet service providers in America, such as AT&T, Comcast, Verizon, and others, could not collect data, like browsing history and geolocation information, with the intent to serve targeted advertising. The argument from these companies is that if services like Google and Facebook are allowed to gather information on you, then why can't they? You use their internet service, so why shouldn't they know a little about how you use it? The flaw with this logic is that Google and Facebook are free services whose business model is built largely on their ability to make money by serving adverts on behalf of other companies because of the information they know about you. You're essentially paying to use Facebook with your data, and while it might not be clear when you agree to it, it is in their terms and conditions that you'll be served adverts based on the data you give. And advertising is a well-established way for companies to keep services free. But if internet service providers want customers to pay a premium for access to the internet and then be served adverts in addition to that, you can't imagine that they'd be too happy about it. What's more is that Facebook and Google are entirely optional to use. No one is forced to access them to get onto the internet. ISPs, on the other hand, have complete control over your connection to getting online. In some areas of the US, customers only have the option of one provider due to a lack of infrastructure in that area. And where there is competition between ISPs, there might not be that many to choose from, thus forcing customers to pay a higher price. This should be particularly alarming if you run an online business that directly competes with a service owned by an ISP. In effect, an ISP would be allowed to advertise their service on top of your site. These ads could render yours unusable, driving customers to their service and yours out of business. The internet, and particularly social media services, for all their promise of being a utopia for communication between anyone, anywhere in the world, has struggled with the inherent tension between this vision and practical need for businesses to make money through advertising. Back in 2010, writer Zadie Smith published an essay in the New York Review of Books entitled Generation Y that hits hard on this tension. She wrote, when a human being becomes a set of data on a website like Facebook, he or she is reduced. Everything shrinks. Individual character, friendships, language, sensibility. In a way, it's a transcendent experience. We lose our bodies, our messy feelings, our desires, our fears. But our denuded network selves don't look more free. They just look more owned. With Facebook, it genuinely doesn't matter who you are as long as you make choices, which means, finally, purchases. If the aim is to be liked by more and more people, whatever is unusual about a person gets flattened out. One nation under a format. To ourselves, we are special people, documented in wonderful photos. And it also happens that we sometimes buy things. To the advertisers, we are our capacity to buy, attached to a few personal, irrelevant photos. This was particularly prophetic back in 2010, but it's all the more pertinent in light of this recent FCC ruling. Remember, you can opt out of Facebook and avoid its advertising partners, 
but it's becoming increasingly impractical to opt out of the internet entirely. The Circle is far beyond this scenario, since it is already the most dominant internet and technology company in the world. To understand the mission of the company, it helps to understand a nine-word slogan that comes from an exchange between May and Bailey. Secrets are lies. Sharing is caring. Privacy is theft. For Bailey, secrets lead to speculation and the potential for untruths. Sharing breeds trust and connection, while privacy denies others opportunities to learn, grow, and remain informed. If you've read George Orwell's 1984, then this may seem very reminiscent of the Ingsoc motto, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. But a technology company like The Circle under Eamon Bailey seems a little less dictatorial than that, right? Well, sort of, but not exactly. I am a believer in the perfectibility of human beings. When we are our best selves, the possibilities are endless. There isn't a problem that we cannot solve. We can cure any disease and we can end hunger. And without secrets, without the hoarding of knowledge and information, we can finally realize our potential. As we come to find out, it ultimately leads to an environment where privacy, both online and in the real world, is gradually eroded. One of the Circle's flagship programs is called Sea Change. It involves these eyeball-shaped GoPro-style cameras that can be placed anywhere and everywhere in the world. They're constantly recording and creating a live feed to anyone who wants to watch it online. You can now see the sunrise in New York at the same time as a sunset in Tokyo. You could watch wild animals in their natural habitats and tourists in Trafalgar Square. Or as Bailey puts it, You know, I agree with the Hague, with the human rights activists all over the world. There needs to be accountability. Tyrants and terrorists can no longer hide. We will see them. We will hear them. We will hear and see everything. If it happens, we'll know. And he's not totally wrong to promote this particular technology in this way, since it does arguably carry some merit. CCTV was critical in aiding police to rapidly identify and find the suspects of the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013, for example. But human rights implications is one of the biggest sticking points when it comes to the debate on privacy, especially online. Governments claim that by having access to all digital communications, it helps to keep society safe by giving terrorists nowhere to hide and communicate online. And in a world that is increasingly fearful of terrorism, this might be a valid argument. There are those that may argue, You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. To which a retort would be, if I'm not doing anything wrong, then you have no reason to surveil me. But as security expert Bruce Schneier wrote in his 2006 essay, The Value of Privacy, there's a problem with this dialogue in that it accepts the premise that privacy is about hiding a wrong and that privacy is an inherent right and a requirement for maintaining the human condition with dignity and respect. And I think we can all agree that writing in a journal, using the toilet, or being with a loved one are all situations that you would expect to be private. There's even a written protection for privacy in Article 12 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which states that No one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home or correspondence, 
nor to attacks upon his honor and reputation. Everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. Interpreted one way, this reads pretty cut and dry, that you have a right to privacy that cannot be violated. An issue with this is that the article was written in a pre-internet era, and the internet has since created so many scenarios that could not have been fully predicted or envisioned almost 70 years ago, so much so that many argue in favour of digital privacy to be expressly protected under written law, while others propose the exact opposite, that current laws are already sufficient enough to ensure a right to privacy. And this further highlights the thorniness of the debate over privacy. With every new technological development, the debate continues to become more and more complex as a result. With the circle, however, it's not laws and legislation that curtail its conquest of privacy. It's hubris that's ultimately its downfall. The sheer size of the organization and the depth and breadth of data collected in its mission to know everything about everything has to come to an end in May's eyes. The end of the film differs somewhat from the book, and I won't give either away here, but I will say that neither has an answer to this debate over the privacy of our data or our right to privacy. And perhaps neither is meant to because we're still struggling with these questions. But what they both do is reflect back to us the debate that we're constantly having over how to confront the ethical challenges that new technology brings. So, are you sure you want to agree to those terms and conditions? Hollywood Science is created by me, Alex Contis. If you'd like to be kept up to date with the show, please consider subscribing wherever you normally get your podcasts from. And if you have a spare minute, leaving a review really helps others to find the show too. You can like and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The links are at hollywoodscience.co.uk and in the show notes as well. Until next time, thank you for listening.